Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Judy Human was a legendary civil rights leader, working for access and power for disabled people here in the Bay Area and across the country. She died this month, and we want to take this hour to both celebrate her achievements and to consider what remains to be done. If you don't respect yourself, and if you don't demand what you believe in for yourself, you're not going to get it. Human did policy work, direct action, and remarkable person-to-person organizing. She's one of my heroes, and I'll always regret that I never got to have her on this show. But at least we can recognize the remarkable life she had, the impact she made, and the new leaders who are taking the struggle forward. And that's what we'll do after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Near the beginning of the remarkable, remarkable documentary, Crip Camp, a teenaged Judy Human is organizing her fellow disabled campers. In this case, to figure out dinner. Quiet! How many people, raise your hands, how many people want lasagna? Hey, Judy, let's say, the only day we get not to eat starch. Yeah. The only thing is, you don't have to eat those starchy things. So why you lasagna? How many people don't want lasagna? Yeah. Lasagna wins. All right. When you go back into your groups, will you also decide, get some suggestions as to what you want, and when we come back in a group together, um, We'll decide what we're going to have to eat, okay, if the cookie's off on Wednesday. So they might be discussing lasagna in this scene, but they're also manifesting what it was to live independently, to organize themselves, to claim their lives as their own, even if that meant lasagna. Over the following decades, Human would show that the same kind of tenacity of keeping her coalition together As they won, and they won a lot, curb cuts and the Americans with Disability Act, enforcement of existing laws, and establishing a new path of rich and social life for disabled people, often centered in Berkeley. She was not alone in all of this. There were many people involved in the movement. But she had a way about her. Here, we hear her talking at a town hall, again in the documentary, Crip Camp, It's the early 1980s. She's clothed in this beautiful red sweater, wearing those big, now fashionable again, glasses. And they were celebrating wins. But this larger fight to have the full humanity of disabled people recognized was far from over. I would like 
like to say that um, I'm glad to be here tonight, but um, we're behind you. You know, on the one hand, I'm sitting here feeling like I should say everything is wonderful. And I don't feel um, that's at all what we talked about. And I'm very tired of being thankful for accessible toilets. You know? <laughs> I, I really am tired of feeling that way when I basically feel that um, if I have to feel thankful about an accessible bathroom, when am I ever going to be equal in the community? No. That was Judy Human, who died this month, here to discuss her work and legacy. We're joined by a really amazing panel. First up, we've got Jim Lebrecht, filmmaker and co-director with Nicole uh, Noonan of Crip Camp, A Disability Revolution. Thank you so much for joining us, Jim. Uh, so happy to be here. Um considering the circumstance, mm-hmm. um, but it's really wonderful to be able to kind of share some reflections on Judy. Yeah, and thank you. I just want to pause for one second. For people who haven't seen Crip Camp, your film, it's one of the best documentaries ever made by anyone of all time, and I just, I loved it so, so much. I'm so happy to be able to have you on the show. Uh, that, thank you so much. Really um, appreciate it. We're also joined by Sandy Ho, director of the Disability Inclusion Fund at Borealis Philanthropy. Welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Um, and likewise, you know, I want to echo Jim's sentiment here that wish it were in better circumstances, but mm-hmm. uh, happy to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. We're also joined by Yomi Sachiko Rong, an Oakland-based disability justice activist and dreamer. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And we've got Arlene Meyerson, directing attorney at the Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund. Welcome, Arlene. Thank you so much. I'm actually directing attorney, the founding directing attorney, Emerita. Uh-huh. Um, and, I, <laughs> and I've known Judy for so many years, 40 plus, um, and I'm so glad to be on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much, Arlene. Um, Jim, can we start with you? Just Judy's history, as you were putting together Crip Camp, she's one of the central characters in the documentary. What was it that, you know, there's so many wonderful leaders in the movement. What was distinct about Judy Heumann? Um, I think that's a question you would be able to figure out after about five seconds after <laughs> meeting Judy. <laughs> And um, yeah, she um, she see uh, you know so many of us have been talking about her and her qualities, and one of the things that I've kind of said a number of times now is that she was kind of like this Pied Piper. She just literally just kind of brought people in, but also it was the fact that she was a leader that you truly believed in, and and as Corbett O'Toole says in her documentary, like. You know, they weren't so scared about the FBI when they sat in in this federal building for 26 days. They just didn't want to disappoint Judy Human. So, I mean, it would take a couple of hours to explain everything about her, but you get the idea. Yeah. You know, Arlene, you mentioned that you have uh, 
known Judy for, for, for decades. Why don't we take just one of these historical episodes, this sit-in around 504, for people who are not familiar with this particular issue within, you know, the 1972 Rehabilitation Act. Can you tell us, like, why was this important and what was Judy Human's role in securing this, the enforcement of this particular provision? Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act was really the first cross-disability civil rights law of our nation. And um, it covered entities that received federal financial assistance. So if you were a school or a hospital and you were receiving federal funds, you couldn't discriminate against people with disabilities. It was the first time the word discrimination and disability were ever seen together. It was always assumed before that, oh, if you're disabled, oh, no wonder you're not in our schools because you can't do it. You can't do the job. You can't do ride the public transit. You can't, it's all you can't, you can't. And 504 was saying, you know what? Just like racial minorities, ethnic minorities and women, people with disabilities are barred from participation because of barriers in our society. This is huge. This is so huge because that's reversing literally thousands of years of the perception of people with disabilities. Mm, yeah. You know, Yomi uh, Sachiko Rong, how did you first encounter Judy Human as, uh, as the next generation of you know, disability rights and disability justice activists. Like, what was your relationship to her work? Um, I met Judy when I began um, this wild ride called Leading the Center for Independent Living in Berkeley. Um, I, my background was in journalism. I had been serving on the board of CIL. And then in around, I don't know, 2007, 2008, um, we had a, a bit of a, a crisis and leadership shift. I went to work for the organization, supposedly just for a few weeks to stabilize things, and then ended up um, becoming CIL's executive director and staying for about five years. And Judy, uh, it was Judy, Michael Winter, who was also um, deceased now. There were a couple of, of who I consider the old guard, mm -hmm. right, that reached out right away to say, we're so happy that you're there and what can we do to support you? And, you know, I've had some time to reflect on my tenure leading CIL, and I think it's fair to say I was something of a bridge between the past and the future. Mm -hmm. I was the first Black person to lead this iconic organization. And not everybody was welcoming to that historic change. Mm. It is sometimes hard for movements to address internal racism and marginalization. But Judy recognized what my presence meant for CIL's necessary shift into the 21st century and its ability to meet the needs of consumers who look quite different from those who were hanging around the center in the 70s and 80s. Mm. They looked more like me. And Judy was publicly and privately supportive of my leadership. And that was really important. It signaled her understanding that times had changed and that our movement can't rest on laurels. We need to keep evolving, innovating, and meeting disabled people where they are at. Yeah. You know, Sandy Ho, director of the Disability Inclusion Fund at Borealis Philanthropy, Judy Human was one of your mentors. Like, what's a lesson that she imparted to you that, you know, you kind of carry with you in this work? Oh, my gosh. Um, so many. And I think that 
you know, when I first met Judy, it was in 2015, and um, I did not have a ton of examples of what it meant to be one possibility of what being a disabled woman looked like. And meeting Judy uh, during that particular kind of my own of understanding of what is my own place in disability community and in this movement, that was really powerful. Um, but I do remember that from the get-go, Judy would really focus on ensuring that um, I really own the things that I did, whether it was the Disability and Intersectionality Summit, whether it was Disability Policy Research, um, and in my current role um, as the director of the Disability Inclusion Fund, she was consistently proud and um, always telling me that I needed to own um, who I am and, and the roles that I have because you know, she was not just because she was proud of me, but because of what that meant for our movements and mm -hmm. progress. We're discussing the life and legacy of pioneering disability rights activist Judy Human. We're joined by Sandy Ho, director of the Disability Inclusion Fund at Borealis Philanthropy, Jim Lebrecht, filmmaker and co-director with Nicole Noonan, Crip Camp, uh, A Disability Revolution, which, as I said earlier, is one of the greatest uh, documentaries ever made. Yomi Sachiko Rong, an Oakland-based disability justice activist, and Arlene Meyerson, who is the founding directing attorney emerita at the Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund. Listen, we know how important Judy Human was in the Bay Area and for disability rights and justice activists across the country. We'd love to hear from you if you have a memory of Judy Human um, or if she affected your life. I mean, this show is really for you. So you can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. can email questions and comments to forum at kqed.org. Or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're discussing the life and legacy of the disability rights activist Judy Human, joined by Jim Lebrecht, who was the filmmaker and co-director with Nicole Newnham on the documentary Crip Camp, A Disability Revolution, Sandy Ho, director of the Disability Inclusion Fund at Borealis Philanthropy, Yomi Sachiko Rong, Oakland-based disability justice activist, and Arlene Meyerson, directing attorney, uh, Emerita at the Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund. 
You know, Jim, I wanted you to discuss a little bit how this particular camp that you cover in your film kind of fed into the things that were happening at Berkeley. You know, this kind of social layer that helped really drive this uh, movement forward. Well, I think that, um, you know, first off, for me, Judy really kind of set the course of my life as an activist. Like, I never knew that we could actually fight back and win. Um, and you'll see in the, in the calls of my film that she won this lawsuit to get her teaching license. And so Judy wound up coming out to Berkeley to uh, help run CIL. But um, it was almost like, you know, she was like calling back to the old country and saying, the ramps are paved with gold. You must come to Berkeley. <laughs> and, for a lot, and for a lot of us, you know, New York, snow, other aspects of it are really difficult. And here was this wonderful community. And as uh, Corbett says in the film, it was like we re- recreated Camp Jeanette in Berkeley. And Jeanette was kind of a new utopian situation, as Denise uh, Jacobson says in our film, that, mm-hmm. you know, for the first time, I wasn't infantilized. I was a teenager when I was there. Nothing more, nothing less. But they really wanted to make sure that I found myself and that I could, you know, really uh, um, basically grow up with a sense of pride and respect for myself. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely sort of remarkable to hear these stories um, about Judy Human and really situate her within the the context of civil rights as it was seen at the time. As we kind of look forward, maybe Yomi, you can talk a little bit about how disability justice has become a new way of talking about this these sets of issues that, that people face and these barriers in American society. Sure, thank you. I love to talk about disability justice. Um, disability justice, as I see it, is really a second wave Uh, building on the gains in disability rights. It's really born of an understanding that the disability rights movement, while a critical force in advancing equality and opportunity for disabled people, also failed to address uh, the lived experience of disabled people of color, disabled immigrants, disabled people who practice marginalized religions, who are queer, trans, gender nonconforming, who experience homelessness and displacement, Um, disabled kin who are incarcerated, and disabled indigenous peoples whose land has been stolen. So really talking about um, intersectionality. (laughs) It is disability justice organizers and activists uh, who are holding other radical movements to account for their failure to address ableism in their politics. For example, upwards of 30% of all people killed by law enforcement officers are disabled. These statistics are out there, but it took a group of black and disabled, uh, black deaf and disabled organizers called the Harriet Tubman Collective to bring this to the fore with the Black Lives Matter organizers. And we know that people with disabilities are substantially more vulnerable to climate change than the general population. Yet the environmental movement has demonstrated very little understanding or analysis of this. Mm. So there are many of us, including me, who are focusing our political energy on the climate crisis, 
I'm working with Shelterwood Collective, a 900-acre indigenous, black, and queer-led community forest and collective of land protectors who are committed to bringing those of us who experience disability um, into the critical work of climate adaptation. So this is disability justice. It's really taking the foundation of disability rights and independent living movement and putting forth um, the, the energy and ideas and lived experiences of those of us who are multiply marginalized and who experience systemic oppression um, in a way that is, is quite different from the early leaders of the disability rights movement. And we need both. I wanna say it's not either or, it's both. We need disability rights and we need justice as the way forward. Wanted to recommend people uh, read Yomi's uh, essay in Orion Magazine, too, called At the Gate, which is uh, about a Oakland public space um, that made some moves to make the park uh, less accessible and, and uh, the way that Yomi organized around that. So um, that's in Orion Magazine. The essay is called At the Gate. Um, let's bring in uh, Paul in Oakland. Welcome, Paul. Thank you for having me. Uh, I've known Judy, knew Judy for about 45 years, and I was also present at the 504 sit-in. And to describe Judy succinctly, Judy was a force of nature. You did not want to cross her. If she gave you an assignment, you better carry it out. But remarkably, as strong-willed as she was, she was also patient. A lot of the people in the disability rights movement uh, required a little patience, uh, people who had communication disorders, for example. But Judy was very sure to include everyone. She was a visionary. There I was, a civil rights lawyer, uh, doing school desegregation cases, for example, and it never occurred to me as an individual with a disability that maybe disability rights were also civil rights. Judy was very brave. If you think about the 504 sit-in, there were a lot of people at that sit-in who literally were risking their lives to occupy a building when they needed, you know, special medical treatment or special diet or whatever. And nonetheless, they had the courage to hang in there. And I agree with uh, Yomi's presentation on the issue of disability justice. Judy was an intersectionalist. That is to say, Judy didn't just want to include the full range of disabilities, but also people of all uh, ethnic groups, all races, all sexual orientations, and she included them in the leadership of what she was doing. And she was an enormous alliance builder. And I'll just give you one example from the 504 sit-in of how she was an alliance builder. It is not urban folklore to note that the supply chain, the food, the medicine that went to the 504 demonstrators were brought in by the Black Panthers of Oakland and the Mission Street Rebels. And can you imagine uh, all the um, alliance building she had to do, all the credibility she had to establish with those groups in order to have that 504 sit-in be successful? And there were so many other uh, organizations that were included in the success of that event. And it's really owing to Judy's history of alliance building. And I also just want to point out one more thing about Judy that's not been mentioned, which is Judy was a practicing Jew, and her parents escaped the Holocaust. And it's that experience of her parents 
that led them to teach her to speak up, to never be silent. And I think part of Judy's outspokenness really is owing to her parents' own experience. And it's very, you know, very important. And then specifically Judy's own disability, polio. Um, I don't think we've done enough history uh, studying the impact of polio on American history. But if you think of all the leaders who had polio, not only in the disability rights movement, but even FDR, it made a big difference. And at the time of the 504 sit-in, we had many disabled veterans from the war in Vietnam, and they were one of the alliances that she built, and they were one of the reasons that people showed up with lots of courage. And finally, Judy was also present in the African-American civil rights movement, and many African-Americans mentored people in the disability rights movement, taught them the techniques, taught them uh, bravery. And so um, I think um, to use the word justice uh, as a value of Judy is dead on. Paul, thank you so much. Paul in Oakland, incredible uh, reflection on Judy Human's life and career and position, personal uh, character. I, I, you know, Arlene is another person who knew her for a very long time. I was maybe, you know, sometimes with a with a character like Judy Human, they've done such big things that maybe we can't. We we start to lose uh, the sense of like who they were as a as an individual. Um, you know, whether it was her parents or like. What she liked to do for fun, you know. I mean, I, 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 I want to make sure we present like a totally well-rounded portrait of her in insofar as we can. What would you add? So, uh, Judy was a one-of-a-kind person. I just came back from her funeral and um, sitting shiva for her in Washington D.C. I hope everyone's noted that she died on March fourth. March fourth, of course, is her legacy. She wants everyone, when they face injustice, to march forth and not ex- accept no for an answer. Um, everyone at the memorial, most people had some similar things. And uh, one theme was getting calls from Judy all hours of the night <laughs> and early morning. And it was always something that you know had to be done then. Um, Judy never met anyone in her speaking engagements, in her synagogue, in her restaurants that she frequented that told her a story that she didn't try to connect with every, for help. Um, She was a leader in the global sense, literally. She traveled to, I think, over 30 countries. And, um, but at the same time, she never lost sight of individuals and she everyone that spoke also felt like Judy treated their family like her family mm-hmm. so all of us that thought our kids were so unique in their in Judy's love for them it turns out she <laughs> shared that with so many families and everyone spoke about that um Judy was a lot of fun um she didn't have a separation between work and life Her life from the time she was five years old, four years old, was fighting for inclusion as a person with a disability. And she was very much brought up in the um, 
age of the civil rights movements for minorities and women and immediately saw the connection to carry that forward. Um, the story that one of the stories that I told was that Judy, for instance, at dinner used to entertain the kids by dancing with her fingers on the table. <laughs> and she'd put little doll shoes on her fingers and she had, you know, she would dance and they would just be so delighted. Um, yeah. And, uh. you know, I was just looking at Judy's letter to my daughter when she got bat mitzvahed. And she said, never always have time for individuals to help them. And it is your responsibility to change the world for the better. You know, uh, Sandy O, oh, um, there remain a variety of issues that are kind of pressing for people uh, with disabilities. When you look out across that landscape, what are the ones that you feel like more people need to understand? Yeah, well, that is um, the question of perhaps the century, uh, one could say. But, um, you know, what immediately comes to mind in this moment as we are in the midst of a ongoing global pandemic um, and the approaches of public health and public policies um, that have, you know, decidedly um, made the decision that disabled people, uh, particularly those who have marginalized identities, and that is to say, uh, Black disabled people, folks who are unhoused, who are incarcerated, trans disabled folks, um, you know, are disposable. Um, and we see this in you know, the ways that disabled people in long-term care facilities um, have not had adequate care. They, and this is one example of the ways in which perhaps rights alone, that we have equal access to get into the door, are not necessarily going far enough. Um, and so that's one issue that I would um, surface. The other is also, you know, when we think about our country as a supposed democratic society of inclusion, right? that kind of fundamental idea that every person matters and counts and should have access to be recognized. Um, access to civic engagement, uh, so much of what Judy and her generation of leaders made possible was not just, uh, you know, making sure that our government and public officials were held accountable to what they said that they would do through the law, uh, but also make sure that disabled people were in positions of public office. Um, and we see that throughout her career as well. And, and also in the ways that she mentored, uh, myself included. Um, and as we just heard from Yomi, um, our careers. The Another, I would add, um, in addition to what Yomi had talked about earlier around climate, um, is you know, one thing that I also am taking away from Judy lessons and her you know, persistence is attitudes and perceptions of disabled people um, that without that wholehearted pride of disability and identity uh, and claiming it, um, 
it's not something that has to be a tragedy. That is not something that, you know, quote unquote, needs to be fixed. Um, and I think this is so important and, and it gets to also why, you know, documentaries like Jim's Crypt Camp um, is so powerful in recognizing, you know, it is about the collective organizing. Um, it is about community mobilizing and coming together. And we see that throughout the entire history of disability rights movement and still today. Um, so I, I think that, you know, these are not either or, these are not, you know, things that have to come in phases, but it all has to be done together um, and all at once. Yeah. You also were the recipient of some of those late night phone calls, no? Yes, absolutely. And, <laughs> um, you know, it was actually about a year ago when um, Judy became more than just uh, a mentor to me, but, you know, she was somebody who in my phone became known as Bubby. Um, <laughs> she told me that, uh, yeah, you know, she didn't have children or grandchildren of her own. And she was like, yes, uh, you can call me Bubby, but also uh, she had some strong words for the person whose idea it was. Um, but, you know, it, it is that kind of mentorship and guidance and co those conversations that as I am reflecting since her passing, you know, it was in those late night phone calls where I imagine she's thinking about, you know, all of the things that happened during the day. It's in those quieter moments that perhaps she's by herself, that she reached out to people to check in. Um, she would call me and say, you know, what's going on in your life? Um, what are you working on? How's the job? Are you happy? Um, and, and these are the questions that really mattered to her. And it wasn't just about the work. Yeah. We're discussing the life and legacy of pioneering disability rights activist Judy Human with Sandy Ho, director of the Disability Inclusion Fund at Borealis Philanthropy. Jim Lebrecht who made the incredible film with Nicole Noonan called Crip Camp, A Disability Revolution. Yomi Sachiko Rong, Oakland-based disability justice activist, and Arlene Meyerson as well, longtime friend and colleague of Judy's. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more. Be back right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are discussing the life and legacy of Judy Human, remarkable disability rights activist. We have an incredible panel joined by Arlene Meyerson, directing attorney emerita at the Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund. 
Yomish Sachiko Rong, Oakland-based disability justice activist, Sandy Ho, director of the Disability Inclusion Fund at Borealis Philanthropy, and Jim Lebrecht, who made the documentary Crip Camp, A Disability Revolution, with co-director Nicole Noonan. We're also taking your memories of Judy Human and the Bay Area's disability rights movement. What do you think the role of this area was for the, the national movement? What did Berkeley mean in, this, uh, in disability justice and in disability rights? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. What does the disability rights movement meant to you personally? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. Email comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or KQED Forum. Um, Another Judy writes to praise in Judy Human. As an able-bodied ally to the disability rights movement, I am awed by the accomplishments of human's life. She inspired me to have faith in the intersectional value of all civil rights action. Human was and will always be a hero to common people. I honor her memory and elevate the continued work before all of us. Judy Human did much in her lifetime to be honored. But there are others, including all those on your panel, who should be honored for their ongoing commitment to human rights. Thank you to Humans Army. Onward. (laughs) Um, Yomi, I I wanted to talk about your perspective on the ADA, you know, this kind of landmark legislation, and what it has been to actually try to fight for the full implementation of these kinds of policy wins. Like it, it kind of you know, reminds me of like the Fair Housing Act where, you know, you get the legislation, but then it actually takes like decades to actually get the government, the mechanics of the government to do what it's supposed to do around that law. Yeah, thank you for that question. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. You have, you know, you first have all of the labor of, you know, developing policy and writing a law, right? Which the incredible leaders at DREDF, including Arlene and, and and Pat Wright and people who are involved in drafting that important legislation. So you have a law, like civil rights law, you have whatever, but then you've got to implement it, which is so much of what 504 was about, the sit-in. You have this law, but it's not signed or it's not implemented. And so if you don't implement a law, it doesn't mean anything. And people like us continue to get kicked in the teeth by society, right? Because you're not implementing it. Um, the ADA was signed into law the year I graduated from high school, <laughs> and like and like Judy. So you know we're we're your panel right now spans generations mm-hmm. of activism, and so I'm a generation behind Judy, and you know so I I really benefited from that, but it, but it takes time, right? Um, I I really see the ADA along with other civil rights law, as America's promise to its people. Mm. And are we really upholding that promise? And I think that our country has failed disabled citizens in so many ways. It's like you have laws on the books, but we, the the disability community, I think we comprise conservatively something like 20% of the U.S. population, and yet we remain the poorest of the poor the most unemployed or underemployed. Um, And, you know, we want a piece of this economy too. And so how do we get there? But it's also about using laws and rights. um, And I think Arlene can speak beautifully to this about, you know, making sure that one, people understand that they have rights, which I think is something that Judy 
uh, was so good about. I mean, one of the philosophies, the main philosophy of the independent living movement is that it's by and for and about people with disabilities. And there's a really strong peer mentoring, peer support model. And, And part of that is looking another disabled person in the eye and saying, you belong, you have rights, and you don't have to tolerate or stand for second-class status. Mm. That's really what the movement is about. And so I look at the ADA as a very powerful piece of legislation. But if people, A, don't understand that they have rights under the law, don't know how to advance or agitate toward those rights, and don't continue to build and hold accountable people who are responsible for implementing those rights and for not discriminating, then, then what do we have it for? Yeah. You know, Sandy Ho, I wanted to ask you about the increasing inclusion of sort of um, mental health and these sort of other types of disabilities that may not be, you know, physically apparent. And I kind of have two questions out of it. How have you seen that play out in, in your work? And have there been tensions that have resulted uh, as the composition of the movement changes a little bit? Yeah, great questions. Um, so just to also add to what Domi was saying about the new revelatory contribution of the ADA, is that also the ways that the ADA characterizes disability, right? that it is something um, that is not just about manifestation of the anatomy or, or the ailment, but it's also about um, how it impacts our everyday life experiences and living. Um, and so in that sense, you know, it is not just about the person in a wheelchair that I think still often comes to mind for folks when they think of disability. Mm-hmm. Um, and so getting to you, what you were just asking about when it comes to mental health and mental illness, um, yes, you know, as we are seeing folks uh, grapple with, you know, how do we support um, folks who have mental illness um, and substance use um, and conditions that are not apparent um, to not be condemned or, you know, face attitudes that um, are derogatory and getting to that point that Ryomi was just speaking to around peer support, um, the the organizations and groups in the Disability Inclusion Fund cohort, the important piece of it here is that disabled people are leading these organizations. Mm-hmm. That includes folks like Project Blacks, uh, folks, right, who are providing grassroots, peer-to-peer access and support to resources um, to navigate mental health support outside of your traditional systems and um, service providers. Because what we are seeing too is that the lived experiences of disabled people matters. And that is important to coming together around solutions and implementing plans. Um, when so often and too often still, uh, we are not included at you know the table where you know, Washington, D.C. or Congress or in our state city halls. Um, this is continuing to be the advocacy lever that we're seeing groups like Senior and Disability Action uh, in the Bay Area. 
um, who you know, are expanding access to power through civic engagement, through advocacy. And it is because that disabled people are leading these conversations um, that this is the trend that we are not just seeing today, but had been carried through, you know, throughout um, from you know, Ed Judy and her uh, peers who have been organizing, but also that is the way of the future. Mm. Let's uh, take some more celebrations from the audience here. Jenny in San Francisco, welcome. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for honoring our dear friend and colleague, Judy Human, with this program. It means a lot to all of us who cherished everything that she stood for. Thank you. Do you, do you want to tell your story? Sure. Thanks so much. So I'm a fellow disability rights advocate. Um, I'm a two-time appointee to the National Council of Disability in the Obama administration, and that's where I first began to work with Judy back in 2011 at a time when we were very focused in ensuring the United States ratification of the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, which is something that was uh, very much one of Judy's abiding goals and unfortunately is something that has yet to happen, but she never stopped working for it. And we worked consistently together from that time until actually just the week before she passed away. And at that time, we were focused um, together with the Human Rights Watch in trying to do what we could to ensure the rights of uh, displaced children with disabilities Mm -hmm. who are refugees as a result of the Ukraine-Russia conflict and our fear that these children may not be able to receive the supports and the services that they need now and hopefully once that conflict is resolved. So she never faltered in her commitment to serve not only Americans with disabilities, but people with disabilities and others around the world. And Judy firmly believed, as all of us do in this community of Americans with disabilities, that making life better for people with disabilities will enrich the life of everyone, as we saw with the development of the curb cut, the passage of the Rehabilitation Act regulations and the ADA. And so uh, Judy's legacy will be, first of all, that there was never an issue related to human and civil rights that she did not touch. And secondly, that she spent a tremendous amount of time speaking with young people, educating them, and grooming what has now become an army that will now carry on the tremendous work that really defined the spirit and the intellect and the grace and the humor of Judy Human. Uh, thank you so much, Jenny. Beautiful reflection on, on the work. You know, Jim Lebrecht, I thought, you know, you're one of the principles, you know, you obviously made Crip Camp with Nicole Noonan, but you also are are in the film. And I was hoping maybe you could sort of reflect on your life, which has seen so many different changes in barriers coming down, but also in these continued fights and maybe new ones going up, particularly in this kind of digital realm uh, of things for at least some people and their particular um, needs. So, you maybe give us that sweep? Like you've seen so much change in your life, um, so much progress, and also these other things. I'm uh, 56 years old. I'm uh, 66 years old. <laughs> 56 <laughs> years young. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, but apparently don't really know who I am. And, and um, you know, these are the days before curb cuts. This is the no handicap parking spots. Um, uh, things could just, you know, and no protections at all. Civil rights slowly but surely started seeing curb cuts and starting to see other improvements, um, you know, and but yet there's still huge issues that I encounter today that um, need to be addressed. And one of them is air travel, mm-hmm. that, that I and other people cannot fly in our wheelchairs. And what does this mean? This means a couple of things. I can't use a bathroom on an airplane. Mm-hmm. So um, I have to improvise. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> and yeah, and also just simply using an aisle chair which is the typical way to get somebody who's a paraplegic like myself to their seat. Unfortunately, the way I have to sit in an aisle chair, it would damage my body. And I used to be able to do this all the time, but I can't anymore. And, um, you know, I, so uh, the list can really kind of go on. I, I'm happy for the change, um, but and we talk about employment. I have to say the employment in the entertainment industry is desperately needed, I believe, because the perception and stigma around disability is so often based on what we see in film and television. And until we are in uh, producers and executives and directors and such in larger numbers, things are just going to take forever for perception to change. Yeah, yeah. Kristen writes in to say, I'm so grateful for this show. I participated in the first uh, Chicago Disability Pride Parade, and I think a lot about the role of pride, love, and community in this and other movements. Now, as a mom of a kid with Down syndrome, I think a lot about this intergenerationally. Uh, really interesting comment there. Let's, um, let's take one more call. Um, Peter in, uh, in Tampa, frequent listener. Welcome back, Peter. Yes, uh... I hate to burst your balloon, but uh, I hate curb cuts. I'm blind, and I needed the curb to let me know I'm stepping into the street. And I know what everyone's thinking. I've heard it before. No, those tactile warnings do not work. And you can Google it and find out they knew it was true, that blind people would be walking into streets without knowing it. They even admit it on the go to access.link.gov, access-link.gov. And search for the word blind, and it says blind people will be walking into the streets without knowing it. And uh, it's just made my life – my life was great in the 1990s. I would go anywhere I wanted, day or night, and now I am afraid to walk around the block. Mm -hmm. So, no, this was not – this was no no low-hanging fruit. It was the worst thing that ever happened. Tens of thousands of blind people hate the ADA, Mm -hmm. like myself. So – Sorry, but uh, we're not in utopia after all. <laughs> um, Peter, um, thank you. I feel like it, it's in the spirit of Judy as well that there would be, you know, um, some some dissent about these things. And I think, you know, Yomi, I think I'm going to throw this one to you. Um, obviously, one piece of legislation cannot make things perfect for everyone. We're not in utopia, as, as Peter said, but... How, you know, the disability rights movement contains many different needs, right? So how do you address uh, Peter's question? Well, I think the first way to honor and respect Peter's question is to believe him, Mm -hmm. to believe his experience, 
and to understand that um, sometimes, you know, we think we're making improvements and, and there are people who um, don't experience it that way. So I want to thank Peter for raising this and for bringing um, his reality into this conversation. Uh, and so I, I just want to leave it at that. I'm not going to refute it. I know um, lots of other blind people that think, you know, that the ADA did well for them. And so, you know, we have to kind of keep including um, all experiences and all voices to perfect this democracy, to perfect this society. I mean, the whole goal of the disability rights, independent living movement, and really the goal through disability justice is for disabled liberation. Mm -hmm. And so we want everybody to be able to be able to enjoy public life. We want disabled people to be able to enjoy um, work if that's what they choose, and also to have understand that they have value and worth if they cannot produce. So a key principle of disability justice is that we have a critique around capitalism, because we understand that ableism is the bane of all of our existence, and ableism is fueled by capitalism, by white supremacy, um, by colonialism. Um, and so I, I think there's room for dissent, absolutely. No movement can thrive or evolve or be relevant without dissent. Yeah. And so I welcome Peter's comment. And I think for those uh, folks who are listening, who are working on um, uh, planning city planners and engineers and all of those people who work to make cities livable for all bodies need to listen to Peter and, and maybe yeah. need to invite folks who have a differing experience to the table. Thank you so much, Yomi. We have been discussing the life and legacy of disability rights activist Judy Human and what remains to be done to make sure that the barriers in society come down and disability rights advocates uh, can have the justice they deserve. We've been joined by Jim Lebrecht, filmmaker, co-director with Nicole Newman of Crip Camp, A Disability Revolution. Yomi Sachiko Rong, who you just heard, Oakland-based disability justice activist. Sandy Ho, director of the Disability Inclusion Fund at Borealis Philanthropy. And Arlene Meyerson, directing attorney, Emberta at the Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.